back to the Brooklyn Poets Yopcast for August 10th, 2020. A great year in human history. Featuring Emily Skillings leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. I am your host and MC once again, Jason Koo. The Brooklyn Poets Yop is a monthly poetry workshop and open mic, usually held at 61 Local in Cobble Hill. Who knows when we will be back there, if at all, I am hoping for the best. For more info and to sign up for the op, go to brooklynpoets.org. This month's open mic lineup featured Julia Knobloch, Joanne Mozuela, Kim Brandon, Lupita I. Tucker, Suzanne S. Austin Hill, Rita A. Simmons, Todd Friedman, Stella Lee, Shanice Hughes-Greenberg, Harvey Sauce, Frank Rubino, Susan Kaplan, Elijah Pringle, Mike Frasentes, Arthur Russell, Preeti Shah, Robin Romeo, Kyle Brosnahan, and last but not least, our beloved events manager, Josephine Blair. So, let's get right to the action, the Brooklyn Poets Yop open mic for August. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Brooklyn Poets Yup uh, for our open mic in August. Uh, I don't know if you heard my wife in the background talking about the dishes that we needed to do, but uh, uh, hopefully you appreciated those ambient noises. Uh, if you have been joining us for the virtual Yup uh, recently, you will know that my background is significantly different uh, tonight, and that is because we are actually moving. We are leaving Brooklyn. It, it might seem like sacrilege for the executive director of the post to be leaving Brooklyn, but uh, we are moving from Brooklyn to Beacon. Um, so I've tried to make my background as interesting as possible <laughs> during the workshop, but it's, it's pretty difficult. In fact, the most interesting thing is this uh, this typewriter next to me. I don't know if you can see it. That was the birthday the gift I got from my wife with the balloon still attached. Um, Cleveland Indians hat, Cleveland Cavaliers hat, uh, Palmeiras hat from Brazil for any of you soccer fans. They just won uh, a championship yesterday, so that's pretty exciting. And a, a screen pillow, which um, uh, I have a poem about if you attended our last showcase. Uh, so enough about my background. Uh, we, we are uh, on to the open mic portion of the event. Um, a couple of things to go over before we begin. Uh, if you are reading tonight, as you all know, um, you've already sent poems tonight. Uh, we are going to screen share the poems. And uh, every poet has one poem, three minutes max on the mic. We record the op open mic as a podcast that we call the Yopcast, which we would love for you to subscribe to, which you can do on iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, various other podcasting services. Uh, if you would like to rate us five stars, that would be great. We've been at uh, 32 five-star five ratings uh, for, for quite a while now, I think pretty much throughout the pandemic. I don't know what's happened during the pandemic. People can't rate us anymore on iTunes. I don't know what the fuck's going on. But uh, if you would like to do that, uh, I mean, it's not like you got a whole lot of other things to do while you're sitting at home. So um, that's totally a joke. But uh, if you would like to raise five stars, we would appreciate it. Um, what else? Every month we vote for poem of the month. 
Uh, and the way to vote for Poem of the Month is to text me at 718-374-1953. I'm going to put that number into the chat right now. Um, wait till the end of the open mic to vote for Poem of the Month. Uh, the 12 winners of Poem of the Month over the course of the year face off for Poem of the Year honors at the end of the year in December. Uh, again, we're going to be doing that event virtually, uh, I'm pretty sure, unless a miracle occurs in the next few months. Uh, that event will be back here on Zoom. Again, 718-374-1953 to vote for Poem of the Month. Uh, again, if you could take, how about everyone just take your phone right now and take a selfie? That would be great. Uh, if you have a pet in the vicinity, uh, pick up your pet and take uh, your selfie with the pet in the picture. That would be ideal. If you don't have a pet, uh, I don't know, just make a funny face. Uh, Emily, I noticed your your inhabitants has gotten a lot brighter since the workshop was was led uh, I don't know you just turn on the light oh you got like a, an animal uh, I'm gonna take something. a selfie with this moose yeah that would be great so she's setting a great example fresh catch so it's a lobster there <laughs> uh, everyone follow Emily's lead and take a fabulous selfie send those selfies to uh, my email at uh, coup at brooklynpoets.org uh, and these will go into the gallery. I completely forgot to get the Brooklyn Poets tote bag uh, during the break, but I will get that later and show it to you. Uh, best selfie gets a Brooklyn Poets tote bag. And uh, yeah, I think that is it for my announcements. Unless I'm forgetting something, I don't think I am. But if I am I'll, and I remember, I will tell you later. Before we get to the open mic lineup proper, uh, we are going to hear a poem from your teacher in the workshop, Emily Skillings. But before we do that, I'm gonna share my screen again so you see the poems that uh, we are hearing tonight. Okay, take it away, Emily. Maybe I just sneeze before I read <laughs> Okay. Um, thank you, Jason. I can't wait to hear some of your poems. Um, so I picked this poem called Ladies Beer on Grave because it obviously starts with the Kafka um, epigraph that I read tonight. So I'll read it again. Um, this is the title poem of the new collection that I'm working on. Um, Rose red in many variations of shade, dark in the hollows, lighter at the edges, softly granulated with irregular clots of blood, open as a surface mine to the daylight. Poor boy, you were past helping. I had discovered your great wound. This blossom in your side was destroying you. So I kind of took this quote in um, as a kind of prompt from Kafka to describe a wound, which is also a prompt you can do too. <laughs> and it can be an internal wound or an external wound. Um, and this is what happened. Ladies be your own grave. Ever since I was a little girl, I've always wanted to yell, my leg, my leg, after a great accident. In this fantasy, I am myself, but also an old man in a golfing costume, walking alone down a country road, distracted by the slightly annoying and toxic first green of spring, eyes overflowing with the high-pitched adolescent hum that oft accompanies my idleness when a large branch topples down on me. Before this happens, I am thinking of you, 
So in a sense, you are the true accident. Crushed again, I moan to no one down in the dirt where I have always belonged. The ditch, she comforts me, her pocked surface a trove for sight, den mother for lichens, moss, recesses in which frightened beetles may withdraw from the day. In our shared madness, the ditch and I, we stare together deep into my wound. I will describe it for you. French Bible painted white in which a slit is laser cut down through the pages almost to Job. Smoked salmon inlaid with gravel bits on repurposed board. Neoclassical detail of a crumpled garment left after a feast. Maquette for a later work done hastily in wine-colored plastilina. The red-laced border acts as a kind of shore. The tilting mechanism underneath the irregular bowl reveals and conceals a partially hidden core of fossilized mammoth ivory. Drawer overflowing with wet scarves. G-clay print of stabbed Victorian overstuffed chair. Raspberry sorbet replaces the body of the oyster. Flipping through wallpaper swatches, you find your sister's mouth breathing up at you. She spits up the retainer you lost on a school trip in the eighth grade, down a museum's elevator shaft. A screensaver in a dark room, a mirror that reflects the room without you in it. A chewing gum vase, a song about falling plays as you fall. The deep perfumed hole lined with feathered rags that has been forming in the middle of Third Avenue for some time now a hot little flower. The faces of my bored students during a screening of Chantal Ackerman's La Chambre produce a hurt in me, not unlike this one. Will you cup it in your mind? Give her a little blow? You'll be happy to know that in this piece, we are confronted with the artist's struggle to work inside limiting yet often exhilarating boundaries of femininity as they relate to time, duration, and landscapes of the domestic interior. And that's really something. I guess the thing is, I would like an apology for the last time we lay together, the way you touched me in a hurry. I am looking out the window at a handsome roofer climbing a ladder. This rubber baby purchased online from Idaho. She arrived in tissue. She cries real tears. Thank you. Okay, that was, that was amazing. Thank you, Emily. Uh, so many good moments from that. Uh, I was gonna talk about the beginning of the poem first, but then you got to handsome roofer. <laughs> <laughs> just that's gotta be one of the funniest phrases I've ever heard. <laughs> a handsome what does a handsome roofer look like? Uh but if handsome. I go back to the beginning. Go to Gloucester, Massachusetts. <laughs> I've always wanted to yell, my leg, my leg. <laughs> it's hilarious. And uh in this fantasy I am myself, but also an old man in a golfing costume. <laughs> this is a bizarre and wonderful poem. Uh, I'm so glad. Yeah, I'm so glad we're hearing this tonight first. Uh, this rubber baby purchased online from Idaho. Um, by the way, this is my cat, Frankie. This is how you take a, a selfie tonight. Find, find a cat, take a picture, and go from there. Um, I can't wait to read this collection whenever it comes out. Hopefully that will be uh, soon. Sorry to keep scrolling back and forth. Um, yeah. 
And uh, Emily is also working on a uh, editing a collection of new John Ashbery poems, right? I, I hopefully, hopefully I was allowed to say that. I just probably should have asked first. But uh, if I wasn't, now you know <laughs> the cat's out of the bag. John Ashbery has a new book coming out. And uh, Emily is, uh, has been working on editing it during uh, this pandemic time. Okay, our next reader, uh, usually uh, she would come last uh, by virtue of her position as the author of the year, but uh, tonight she's got to sign off early. In fact, I think you have to sign off pretty soon. Uh, Julia Knobloch, how is the West Coast? It's pretty cool, yeah. Um, but it's not as hot as I like it. The, it's very funny because New Yorkers always say, oh my God, don't you hate New York weather? And Los Angeles people all say, oh my God, don't you love LA weather? And I'm like, both times I'm always like, yeah, well, no. <laughs> I mean, no complaints. It's great, but it gets really chilly. And, um, but other than that, I have no complaints. I'm probably the only person who moves to LA and complains about the weather, sort of. Hey, you're a poet. Your, your job requirement is to complain. Don't don't ever forget that. The movers wrecked my furniture, um, um, but the books are all here, so you know. <laughs> all right, go. Now you're going to read a poem about leaving New York. I'm going to read a poem. I'm going to take up two more. Leaving seconds. New York four. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I was like aspirational. There are there are there will be, but as of now, there's only leaving New York four. <laughs> It's called Leaving New York Four. And then suddenly the vines around my window frame. Like every year, I wasn't there when they unfurled. The garden calls me early to smell the world reveal itself. How can I live with just a memory? How can I touch the orange glow that fills my kitchen? And then suddenly the rain, not a surprise, still unforeseen. Like every year, I want to run on warm asphalt streets, feet naked, my dress soaked. I want to make love with the world. I can't come closer to her secrets than in heat and rain. Master of the universe, I never want to die. And then suddenly the city, island in the sun, like a lover eyeing the July sky, a leaf of grass between his lips. How I long to touch his curls again and hear him speak about his life. He's a harbor, not a shoreline. How I wish there had been time to say goodbye. Indeed, that's always the case. <laughs> I wish there had been time to say goodbye. This week has been weird for me. I don't know what it was like for you, Julie. I just, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like I'm leaving Brooklyn. It was weird because, yeah, it was weird because, because it was also so apocalyptic. The day I left was the day of the hurricane. And with my friend, Regina, who is our um, Sunset Park Brooklyn Poets Laureate, um, Todd Friedman's wife. Um, we carried out my desk and the remaining stuff that needed to be on the curbside um, for garbage early on Tuesday morning. And it was like pouring like crazy. I was drenched, literally. Um, and then I wasn't unclear if the flight was going. It did leave. Um, it got me here safely, but it still feels like, oh, like it's, it's hard to understand that I'm not coming back. Like it's hard to understand that I'm like actually here and not that my apartment is in fact as empty as I last saw it. Um, yeah. It's, it's been a blur too. I've been like crazy. I've been like, I wanted to get stuff sort of set up before, before Friday evening. And also because I'm still working full time, 
East Coast hour, so I wanted to get a sense of things before, so I've been crazy, and it's been fine, but reality hasn't really settled in yet. Like, I don't know yet if I love it. Like, right now I love it, but I don't know, right? Yeah, give yourself some time. Seems like you're doing fine. You oh, look, no, your I, background I, looks good. As you were asking, that's sort of like where I'm Yeah, it's right. definitely a weird time. It's a weird time to feel like you're here anywhere, I think. Right. Um, okay, thank you. Uh, glad you got to read your poem. I also apologize, but I already have a class that I in preparation, so I, I need to be there. Yeah, and then so you're you're a nerd again. You're back in school. It's great. I'm back in school. Yeah, go enjoy your class. <laughs> All right, thank you, Julia. Thanks. Our next reader, Joanne Mazuela. How are you, Joanne? Hi, Jason. Happy to be here. All right, go for it. Great. Uh, yeah, this is a poem I was thinking about work. I was thinking about the privilege of choosing the work you do. Um, and it's a work lunch poem. Do you actually taste sweetness in your dream like you do in your mouth? The joy you get from lunch is totally disproportionate to how easy it is to, to, to sit down and crack a boiled egg. For a girl who codes for a living, why does it feel like your body is what's on the line? You like being underestimated as a single hyphenate. When you're ahead of the game, you can't let the game know it. You're in your head today, and instead of laughing, you simply say the joke you hear is true. Will this white blazer survive the 12 o'clock potluck? You crave even the garnishes dressing the plate. The brighter the green, the wilder your hunger. In an experiment that backfires, you ask how everyone's day was, and it isn't small, it's wonderful. You have an answer for why New York, but not where to go from here. Is it bad that you've seen more digital trees than real ones? But if not New York, another wicked, perfect city. Everything is broken, but this morning you debug the error, exit point place, but not yet bound. The results are awesome, without so much as a hiccup later. As a poet, you also spend time like this, in the quiet weeds. Bellless, whistleless, any day now you'll get the feedback you want. Turns out there's a difference between work and what drives your hand to brace moving parts. Mediocrity is an ugly invention, it doesn't matter. While you're in this body, time is slippery. You can never make it too late. Lunch is almost over. The office kitchen smells of mustard, which sounds like that word for pull it together, words your core power. You are not yourself once and for all time. Second guess the entry-level professional who dared you to make money in the first place. She says you are a sweetheart who grew up to become the man you wanted to marry. She says how rude it is to change your mind. Wow, wow, wow. That was, that was amazing. Oh, man. I just, that hit me in all the right places. I don't know if that sounds weird to say, but uh, from the title down to the last line. Uh, so good, so good. Um, did that white blazer survive the 12 o'clock potluck? Uh, it, it never does. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like 12 o'clock is early for a potluck. I don't know. It seems like, what, what do you bring to a 12 o'clock potluck? <laughs> what do you bring to any potluck? I feel like uh, the potluck I remember in grad school, like I, it's not like I cooked in grad school. I was like 23, you know, I was like, I brought, you know, uh, you know, like the Keebler fudge stripes. Have you ever had one of those, Joanne? Oh, yeah. Yes. That's what I brought to the potluck. <laughs> 
my, my first uh, poet's potluck in grad school. And then I got there and everyone had brought like some really fancy thing that they had cooked in the kitchen. I was like super ashamed. But uh, yeah. That was... And then Mark Doty ate one of the, the fudge stripes. And he was like, oh, wow, who brought the fudge stripes? And I was like, that was me. Uh, anyway, <laughs> thank you for that amazing. Now I'm just getting hungrier. I feel like this whole event so far has made me hungry. So uh, thanks for the workshop, Emily, and thanks for that poem, Joanne. Our next reader is Kim D. Brandon. I don't remember this middle initial D last time. Have you added that since last month, Kim? I've had it all my life. <laughs> no, I assume you have. <laughs> but, but it's now officially here on the page. <laughs> All right, go for it, Kim Darlene Brandon. Behind the curtain, there are places mothering can't go. I pray that you are never presented with such a curtain. Watch your son or daughter slip behind it without a wave goodbye. You listen to the moans of change. You smell the foul stink of flesh and burning hair. The same hair you had loved to wash and condition. That hair you just managed to twist into pretty for school. You hear the guttural sounds of their new voice, full of venom and greed. You can't believe you're beloved. You can't, this can't be your beloved. You want to poke your head behind the demarcation, see where they call home now, the sheet of distance where the end of light begins. You tempt them with old joys. Remember when you were little and stories. You caress and fold the clothes they used to wear when resting in the protection of home. Everyone tells you to pray bottoms rise up and slap out the silly quickly. You find that the bottoms have bottoms and there are days when no sun can reach either of you. You stand too close to the curtain. You act as if nothing has changed, as if dinner is warming on the stove. You pull them back to your breast, your embrace. They bite and you bleed. Everyone says to protect your heart. Everyone says shit like, go get your baby. You slowly show teeth marks. They gasp and start calling on Jesus. If only Jesus would come and hold you, rock you into a perfect peace, remove the leeches and other blood suckers. You pray to return back time to restore your home. You ask what it's like behind the curtain. You ask if they need anything. You ask if they have enough to eat. You ask if they are warm. You ask if their feet are dry. You ask if they are scared or hurt. You ask if they are prey or hunter. They say they are both. They call you out of your name. They demand money. Give me money. Give me money. You realize you are far too close to the curtain. One more desperate step and you will be swallowed too. In the morning, you will gather what's left of your heart. No one can comfort you, although they will try. You will create an altar dedicated to the eagles who thought they were chickens. You will buy white candles and place pictures of the two of you in the flame of the light. You will find the strength to recall all the good, all the laughter, all the first, all the seconds, and you will find that one thing 
that holds a fragmented child's spirit. You will hold it and rock it, rock it like someone is singing somewhere. When the candle burns out, you light another and continue to rock until you realize that you are simply hoping that the child finds the lack and the deep want behind the curtain before the drapes become a rope. God damn, Kim D. Brandon. I feel like the D stands for damn. <laughs> that was amazing. You. You're totally in a zone there. I don't know what was the best part of that poem. Oh my Lord. You listen to the moans of change. You bite and you bleed. Uh, where is the part here? They dedicated to the eagles who thought they were chickens. <laughs> just yeah. killed me. Uh, how's everything going for you, Kim? Are you still in uh, Long Island? I'm in, I'm in Brooklyn. I'm blocks away oh, from uh, 61. Right. Uh, I'm uh, one of the people who are staying here. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. Thank well, thank you for that amazing poem. Uh, our next poet. I think uh, this is the first time Lupita's joining us for the YAP, although she has uh, been a fellowship finalist, I think a couple of times now, Lupita I. Tucker. Am I saying your name right, Lupita? Yes, it's Lupita. Okay, Lupita. How are you? I'm doing great. All right, go for it. Okay, this is Ode to the Sugar Ants. Um, I just want to say this is a 100% Brooklyn Poets poem. Um, the uh, June Yop with uh, Emily Hunt and Eleni Bacalo's poetry um, really set, helped me get into this, um, this subject matter. So anyway, Ode to the Sugar Ants. The day we met was sticky and hot and Abuelita left me a fresh carved orange in a napkin on her kitchen counter mountain of sugar melting in the hollowed crater. And when I returned from the bathroom, you, comrades and cousins, had descended upon my juicy treat. Repulsed, I grabbed the orange with two fingers, arms length from my 12-year-old body, chucked it in the trash can, into which I stared, helpless, before your industry. Oh, sugar ant, benign trooper, subterranean builder, Antenna as long as your fairy bodies, frantic feet following a preordained path. You are religion without priests or prophets. I recall Abuelita's anger when she found the orange in the garbage. Son hormiguitas, no hacen nada, she chastised. And I learned not to leave food out for more than a minute. You, Legion, you, Conquistador, you, Simon Bolivar, conqueror and liberator, my grandmother's kitchen, your Gran Colombia. You made me feel like Atahualpa, how you licked his bones clean. Yes, you, nanometric nimrod, master surveyor, geodesic coordinates embedded in your every footfall. Many humid days I watched to learn your ways, tracking your movements on windowsills, single file up door jams, and found no beginning and no end to your mysterious paths. In the Venn diagram of your world and mine, in the overlap, you are the truth that marches on. 
Decades later in Florida, you scavenge my desk for crumbs. You pop out from beneath the Y and U on my laptop keyboard, like Abuelita's words emerge from the crevices of my mind. Oh, sugar slurper. Oh, minuscule usurper. Oh, one-sided friendship. You march circles around my universe, and at night, it's your breath that freezes around the moon. Okay, thank you so much. <laughs> oh, sugar slurper, oh, minuscule usurper. Uh, that's a great uh, little rhyme there, slurper and usurper. Usurper is really one of the great words in English, is it not? Yeah, yes, I do agree. Is. I've been talking a lot about the word shtetl lately, <laughs> but uh, too bad Judy Schneider's not here tonight. But uh, usurper, maybe that should become the new the new hot word of the yop uh, because uh, it's great. Uh, James Joyce, those of you that have have read uh, Ulysses, <laughs> sorry that sounded super elitist right there, <laughs> but uh, he loves the word usurper. If you've slogged through that book, you know that. Um, thank you, Lupita. Uh, our next poet is not Ben Gancher because uh, he couldn't join us tonight. Uh, I got an email in the middle of the workshop, so we're going to skip uh, Ben. Uh, is Suzanne Austin Hill here? I'm not sure I saw Suzanne in the attendees. I'm here. Oh, great. You are here. Great. That saves me the awkwardness. How are you, Suzanne? I'm just fabulous, Jason. And you're, how are all of you? Uh, I'm doing well. This is your first time reading for the uh, open mic, is it not? Yes, it is. All right. I like your, is that your office? It looks cool. Yes, it is. At the, oh. the part you see, that's my husband's side, though. <laughs> so, so next time, I promise you. Nice. Nice. All right. Go for it, Suzanne. Thank you. Knowledge, longing, hunger for our granddaughter, Kendra Lovely Hill. Oh, beautiful tropical island of Haiti, river valleys and coastal plains gently restrain her conflicting traditions and complicated rhythms. Tall majestic palm trees dance on warm gentle Caribbean breezes in this, the land of high rugged mountains. Many claim the pearl of the Antilles as their own. Taino Indians valued her given terrain. Spanish explorers and French buccaneers exploited her generous vegetation. And when the backs of her people, your people, Jean de Couleur, slave and free, would take no more, Independence arrived packaged in decades of revolution, emancipation, immigration, restoration, recompensation, isolation, intimidation, and humiliation. The 20th century began with occupation by a triune of foreign soldiers. They're supposedly to protect their own, but your people, both urbanites and country folk, united to reclaim yet again what was theirs and yours. While cruise ships tourists saunter along her western waterfronts, your people are massacred in the land of her adversary to the east. Disorder is exchanged for leadership based upon terror sustained by the power of the father, the son, and the boogeyman. Elections aborted or frauds, coup d'etat, 32 military and civilian, combined over the course of her troubled history. And finally, a democratic restoration and your birth both memorable moments near the end of the century. In spite of this, the new millennium is off to a bad start. Man and nature are not kind. Violence, human rights, abuses, back-to-back -back tropical storms, hurricanes, and an earthquake make your land the subject of erosion, 
deforestation, and decertification. Regeneration and restoration are but eternal works in progress. The majority experience unemployment, underemployment, and poverty. Economic disparity is a way of life. Colorful shanty towns and self-sufficient mini fortresses decorate her mountainsides. In the midst of all this, quietly and lovingly, your family made a life or death decision. They chose life for you and sent you to us. Though the route was not direct, it was divine. For over a decade, you have called these United States home. But in young adulthood, she whispers to you in the unique melodies, brilliant colors, and frantic dances of the place where your soul was born. Let there be no confusion, no distractions, no loose ends. You are privileged to belong to us and to her. Prepare yourself. Her needs are innumerable. Her challenges incalculable. Take all that we have to offer. We give it to you willingly. And if it be his will, return to her and help her. All right. Thank you so much, Suzanne. Thank you. That was beautiful. How are you? Where? So where are you joining us from? I am joining you from Ruskin, Florida. All right. Rus Ruskin, Florida. That sounds... Tampa, uh, Tampa Bay area. Yeah. Uh, how, 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 how does it feel down in Florida right now? Does it feel it well, we only have two, two uh, climates, hot and hotter. And then and PS, hurricane, PS hurricane season. Are people wearing masks now or are they just still not? Uh, not everybody, no. No, but I, um, I'm armed and dangerous with my mask. <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully, yeah, hopefully things get, things get better down there. We're hoping so people. soon. Thank you for your well wishes. We appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us tonight. Oh, uh, it's be here. Yeah, it's great to hear your work for the first time. Keep, keep coming back. Oh, now you're not going to get rid of me. <laughs> yeah, I like to hear that. Uh, our next poet, no stranger to many of you who've been joining us uh, for the op, especially recently, Rita A. Simmons. How are you, Rita? Jason, I'm moving to. You are? Where are you moving? Uh, Rochester. Oh, wow. You see that one bookshelf back there that's empty almost? <laughs> That's all the packing you've done? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> when are you moving? Soon? Or like August you know, 27th. Okay, so you have a little time. Yes, I'm terrified. <laughs> you um, just packed that one half shelf. That's hilarious. <laughs> hey, that was a, a big deal. I got those, rid like, of some books. books. Yeah, those are the books you wanted to hear. That was tough. Anyway, this, uh, this poem I wrote 20 years ago, and I said I will never read it to anybody but myself. Um, but I pulled it out and I, I reworked it and, uh, I kind of like it. I don't know if you all will, but should I give it a try? Okay. Ocean floor. My love is sound asleep. There is silence in our room, though my mind is full of phrasing how you'll say you'll leave me soon. Already you are gone, long gone, dreaming of a love as charming as a shallow pool, a statue at the hub. Inscriptionless, the soldier stands. For show, he draws his sword. Some explanation few demand. They won't commit to war. Their peace has long defeated them, and questions surge no more. The pool zooms toys of buoyancy that waiting boys can man. They plot the course of sailing ships around the stone command, 
longing for authentic seas on ships that carry weight. The children send your dream off course. Adults must navigate. So fix your gaze on souls that stroll, then toss a penny in. Who loves to see the copper shine will toss one in again. To make each effort worth a dime, toss in 10 at just one time, an exercise to please the mind, toss another in. Are these the scenes you dream about, the plans you hope to carry out? Our real life, our waking life, seems more the ocean floor, where overhead there's interchange like breeze blown through the door. But here below, the schools that flow, the caverns you can dive, one clan that's closed keeps me alone. Its boast is lodged inside. I blame myself for jewels withheld. There's salt in every pore. How stubborn are the things I know. Let's speak what stings no more. I want to tell uncensored truth. I love this ocean floor. A treasure chest descended here 2,000 years before and called me to the depths it owns, everywhere and now. I want to own the gems it holds. I want to wear the crown. For now, my love, sleep on, sleep on. This ocean is the deep. When you can see the treasures won, you'll wake from shallow dreams. Okay, thank you, Rita. <laughs> So you said that poem was 20 years old? Is old, that... yes. Wow. So why did you feel like to, tonight was the night you wanted to, to bring this poem back? Because that's a beautiful thought, really, this 20-year-old poem bringing it back to life. Um, I don't know. I just I start to know you guys better. I feel like I can risk myself a little more, that nobody, you know, that nobody's going to... Um, I don't know. I'm sure everybody doesn't love the poem, but it means it means a lot to me now, I guess. You know, it's funny. It, when I wrote it, it, it was just embarrassing, but now it, it means a lot. Not embarrassing me. at all. I love this. I mean, some of people are already noticing the rhyme in this poem, but it seems like you're you're working this ballad meter for like the first half of the poem. And then it seems like, sorry, I'm getting super technical. And no, I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> but then it seems like you, you kind of shift it. Like the poem's form opens up on the second page. You're still rhyming, but you like in the first page, you're, you're working this meter too, not just the rhyme. And then on the second page, it, it, it loosens up or it gets more improvisatory. Was that, was that by design or did, or did you go back and like revise this poem? I mean, it, I always used to rhyme when I wrote, 20 years ago, I was always rhyming, rhyming, rhyming. I couldn't stop rhyming. It was like an obsession with me. And uh, now I still rhyme, but less, you know, so it, it was, I, I couldn't change the rhyme, you know, but yeah. I changed some, some of the, uh, I understood better what I was yeah. trying to say. So, so yeah. that's, I just changed the meaning a little bit, like, because of my experience, like I understood what it was. I didn't know what I was experiencing back then, but now I know what I was experiencing. Yeah, I feel you. Uh, I I love that when you when you can actually uh, sometimes you can't. It just 
sometimes what a poem needs in revision is like just like for you not to look at it for a long time, but you can't do that. So it's nice when you actually can go back to something uh, like many years later, in this case, 20 years, because then you know exactly how to revise it. Wasn't it Horace that said like you should put a poem away for like, it was at least 10 years, if not 20. He said uh, you should never send a poem out to the world <laughs> until you've had a chance to put it away for like 10 years at least and then you can revise it because uh, you know immediately what you need to do. Um, to all you young poets out there, I'm sorry if that sounds depressing, but uh, sometimes you need like 20 years before you know for sure. Uh, okay, thank you, Rita. Thank you. Our next poet, uh, his wife was referred to earlier by Julia Knobloch. How are you, Todd Friedman? I am okay. So you, you are up in Beacon? Not yet. I'm still, still, still in Williamsburg. You can see it's like, this, is, uh, this is my beautiful uh, background as I am moving or packing. Okay. Yeah, not, not quite as beautiful as your Shakespeare background <laughs> and uh, other illuminaries. Well, Pete, Pete Seeger made his home in Beacon for many years. I hope you find his spirit now. Hope so, too. All right, go for it. Okay, Mr. Morris. Fifty-some-odd years later, and I can still see Mr. Morris looking out the first-floor window in the middle of the lesson, while a guy on the sidewalk quickly stamps out his cigarette, a former student, long past junior high school age, but one look from Mr. Morris is all it takes. We were a white class in a mostly black school, located in a black neighborhood in Queens in the year that Martin Luther King was murdered. Oh sure, there were a couple of black kids in this gifted class, but we were almost all white. And Mr. Morris, the head of the English department, a black man with strong shoulders who told us stories about his time in the boxing ring was our English teacher, seven periods a week. On Mondays and Wednesdays, bring your grammar books. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, bring your literature books. And Friday is my day, he'd tell us with a smile as he piled on the work. Boys had to wear ties in those days. But if you forgot yours, you had to make a tie out of loose leaf paper and slip it over the top button of your shirt. Then Mr. Morris would have you stay after school to water his plants while you watched all the buses pull out and wound up walking home. I can't tell you how many times I forgot my tie. We never discussed race in that class, but it was in the air everywhere like a thick smog. Sometimes, if you came up early from lunch, you'd hear Mr. Morris yelling at a black kid behind closed doors in a way that no white teacher would ever dare. We bought a house through a program designed to clip the wings of white flight. While some of our relatives didn't understand why we would want to live in a neighborhood full of Schwarzes, we didn't feel that way. But at the end of my paper route, the block was all black and some of the kids would throw rocks at me when I made my deliveries, which always had me on edge as I made my approach. Meanwhile, Mr. Morris was bringing out essays, stories, and poems from me that I had no idea I could write. And when he put a sonnet of mine 
up on the bulletin board outside his room. I almost thought I could levitate. After I graduated from junior high, I only saw Mr. Morris one more time when I was a freshman at college, and I ran into him while he was waiting for a bus. He remembered me well, even though I was one of thousands, and he took pleasure in knowing I was writing for the school paper. There was always a steady stream of visitors to his class. I don't know why I never joined them, even after I became an English teacher. I always meant to visit, but time went by, and then I heard he had died. And now I wish I could, as I had done so many times, slip my work under his door. Wow, thank you, Todd. It's such a beautiful tribute. Thank you. I read this poem uh, when you sent it and uh, had, uh, I almost cried at the end, I have to say, uh, if that doesn't sound corny to say. Uh, I'm so curious though, what did Mr. Morris do on Fridays? Um, I don't remember, but it was his day. (laughs) (laughs) His day, I love that. Friday is my day. I got to use that. I'm not teaching on Fridays this semester, (laughs) but the next time I do, (laughs) I feel like I need to invoke that. Friday is my day. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Sounds like a great teacher. He was. Uh, I I would love to have seen you in one of those loose leaf paper ties. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, I would also love to see that sonnet that he put on his bulletin board. Uh, Do you still have that sonnet? No, I would. I would. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to ask you to email it to me. Yeah, I would too. All right. Well, uh, cheers to Mr. Morris. Uh, Clearly a great teacher. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Todd. Thank you. Our next reader is Stella Lee, coming from bed the pride of bed How are you, Stella? I'm good, and yourself? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. We're not going anywhere. I've been here 20 years plus. I'm not leaving until I retire or die. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I love it. Well, I'm here for the long haul. <clears throat> Our language. Inventaré nuevas palabras para decirte en todas que te quiero como a nadie. Frida Kahlo. First, use water as an action. Fill each silence with seemingly nothing. Pour over ears new sounds. Surrounded by new, unknowing, a painter, creator, my hands push and pull together this world of ours, boundless. I trace my fingertips along the small of your back, Nip the sides of your serratus, spit up the endings of beginnings, a language known by two. Second, this, ooze, ahs, soft, r, muddled, l, enye, tilde, flutter into your nostrils, our scent, fill your ears with my vibration. Laughter flows over the bourbon flowers in your throat, the roots reach deep into the pits of your tripa, stems branching off into each vessel. The blue of oxygenless air turned aquamarine by the verdant leaves of my murmurings, tiny prayers pressed into the skin. The thorns in our roses prick only if our lips break bread with someone else's eyes. 
I spiral the fringes of petals soaked in your body's oil and, sem and seam together wreaths in your hair, ochre and incandescent. Their sparkle remind my eyes of the expanse found in the brown vista of your irises, the comfort of your sweat in your pits. Finally, I revise and rewind each moment without you, fit together the mismatched pieces of our puzzles into one. Una panorama que oscurece ideas imposibles y cambiaría no así. Si pudieras hablar mi idioma, sería una parte más de mi alma. If I spoke your heart, my voice would never leave your soul. Together I bind the words of anhelo con zarang, amor con nampión, chagia con cariño. New, old, lost, found again, these hands aching, drawing closer, our blue flora and fauna anew. All right, damn good, thank you. That was beautiful. Uh, it occurs to me, listening to your poem, I also love the word ochre. Do you love that word too? <laughs> <laughs> I do, I love the color too. Yeah, I just- Beautiful earthy color. It's, it's like a, a word that painters really get to enjoy that uh, I wish poets had a word like ochre. Uh, because you really don't usually only see that word in like reference to painting, right? Like I never, yes. I've never heard someone just be like, you know what, I would love to have like an ochre set of pants. Like never, <laughs> <laughs> you only hear that when people are talking about painting. That's uh, true. But uh, here, yeah, and even here you use it in sort of like a painting kind of reference, but uh, yeah, I don't know why that is. I feel like we should, my assignment to all of you uh, is to use the word ochre just in regular conversation this week. Uh, I don't know how you're gonna do that, but uh, that's why it's a challenge, it's a challenge. Uh, thank you, Stella. Thank you. Beautiful work. Uh, keep coming back, that's two, it's two months in a row, right, Stella? Two months. Our next poet uh, is Shanice Hughes-Greenberg former Brooklyn Poets Fellow, uh, also hailing from Bed-Stuy, doubling up on our Bed-Stuy Poets. How are you, Shanice? I'm well, thank you. All right, you got you got the books in the background. You're not moving, I take it. Um, I'm not moving, if anything, I'm trying to like upgrade. So <laughs> if anyone is leaving Bed-Stuy and they have a one bedroom with a garden, hit me up. All right. Uh, if the call your, is out. you know, rent is affordable. <laughs> um, yeah, that's the kicker. Yeah, exactly. So, no, not leaving. Not leaving anytime soon. Um, so this poem, um, a few things. Um, I feel like everyone here knows what exploitation is, but if not, um, it is a film genre from the 70s. Um, think Shaft, Pam Greer movies. Um, and also this poem is a combination of dialogue from various black exploitation films and also from soul and R&B songs. Black exploitation blues. It's not the same when you're away. I forget parts of myself. It's not the same when you're away. Hours of the day go missing. Can't make the body do anything it won't. Don't give me that secondhand lonely, that's no way to live. Don't give me that secondhand lonely, doesn't fit me right. You look so fine, don't know how to act. You're gonna need me one day, waiting for the world to be made. 
gonna need me one day. My arms open wide for you. You measure a drink better than distance. If you want it, you can have it. It's really you on my mind. If you want it, you can have it. That last sip of wine, the last thing of mine you haven't taken. Call me up, you know my number. Tell me something good. Call me cause you know the number. When you hear that song, the one that goes, yeah, the one about me. Thank you. All right, that was amazing. Ah, uh, God, so much to love with that poem, especially uh, Don't Give Me That Secondhand Lonely. I saw Joanne talk about that in the chat. <laughs> Secondhand Lonely, how'd you come up with that phrase? Where did that come from? Um, that phrase is actually from Sula, which I read oh, yeah. uh, last year from um, wow. the late, great Tony Morrison. So this year I'm reading Beloved and nice. woo! <laughs> yeah. There'll be some poems. <laughs> Yeah, it's a great fucking book. They're both great books. They're, yeah. I was going to say they're both great books, but we should say they're both great fucking books. Yeah. Um, man, so good. Thank you for this. Uh, and uh, thank you for bringing up Pam Greer because uh, I haven't thought about Pam Greer in a long time, but I'm glad you made me think of her again because uh, you should. I feel like we should all think about Pam Greer every day, really. Please, please uh, do. Yeah, she was an amazing person, <laughs> amazing presence on this earth. Uh, thank you so much, Shanice. That was great. Our next reader, who is giving you the link to his next open mic already in the chat, is Harvey Suss. How are you, Harvey? I believe you are muted. This happens every month now, Harvey. <laughs> Gotta unmute yourself. Okay, can you hear me All now? All right, yes. How are uh, you? I substantially rewrote this today. Let me ask oh. you something. If I bring up on my screen the poem, the final version of the poem, and then hit share screen, can people see it? Uh, I'm gonna have to make you a co-host, which I will. So let's see what happens. Go ahead, see if you can share your All screen. Right, let, me, let me find it first. Uh, okay. All right, here we go. Nice Nilla wafers in the background, by the way. <laughs> Are those strategically placed? <laughs> or do they just happen to be there? That's kind of amazing. My hand in there. It may not come, come back out again. I haven't had a Nilla wafer in probably like 20 years. Nilla wafer dipped into hot tea. Can't go better than that. Wow. That is, I feel like I know you so much more intimately now, Harvey. <laughs> I read, I, what's it? Uh, Bewley's Irish breakfast tea. I strongly recommend it. Um, all right, do you know how to share your screen? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right, let me... Uh, yeah, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta do that now. And the question is, how do I share my screen? Oh boy. And still see you go, to, you go to your toolbar in the bottom of the screen there. See the button that says share screen? Okay. Now the question is, huh, I see bunches of documents on here and I don't see... Uh, I don't see the poem. All right, I guess I'll have to make two. I'll just read it. And, uh, <laughs> All right, that was a big tease. All right, I'm gonna share my screen again. Let me get out of there, okay. Well, this will be fun. People will, will see your last version and then they'll hear the new version. Uh, let me just that works too. this last version. Uh, 
making your own origami pet. After the first few simple folds, you detect the shifting of tectonic plates, thinking this was how the world was made. A simple piece of oversized vellum folded into an ecosystem, followed by, I can do that. You don't tell anyone, and I mean anyone, about your plan to craft a chimera in your basement whose changeability would suit your changeable nature once you've learned the proper technique in half it down cold. You've never had a pet, paper, plastic, or pooping of your own to care for. A flesh and blood pet you fear might get lost in HVAC ductwork, having somehow worked its cage door loose. Also, you don't want anything too smart, certainly not smarter than you. As a consequence of which, you're determined to domesticate a notebook. Why clean up after the living when paper animals will do? You start small, origami how-to propped on your lap full of instruction and Frankensteinian schemata. You press to digitate after several lackluster attempts. A six-inch stork whose refusal to stand up straight on its skinny legs proves an embarrassment leaving your own legs wobbly as a pair of bungee cords. Truth be told, even the greatest of origami warriors have been pulled into wormhole moments of failure and self-doubt. The paper cuts you've suffered this afternoon are the result of a Chernobyl-like inattention to detail you vowed to remedy. There doesn't seem to be enough paper folding magic in your hands to fashion anything more complex, say a T-Rex, griffin, or hippo, at least not yet. Take heart. If the Japanese can model a Serengeti with their eyes closed, you should be able to do so with your eyes open, producing a braggable menagerie. Fantastical beast, cultural safariist would pay gobs to see. Slow and steady, the guide advises, its sensei of paper folding, suggesting employment of child-safe scissors so as not to open an artery. Your dogs and cats, despite being described as beginner's projects, constructions over easy as an egg, scarce resemble dogs or cats, more like escapees from the island of Dr. Moreau. Still, not to worry. This onion of a world we live on, as you reassure yourself without too much crying over it, stratum folded upon foundational stratum, wasn't close to being shelf ready on the first day. And that's the finished version. All right, thank you. <laughs> At long last, that was, uh, hey, yeah, that, really. was that was a journey. Hearing that poem. I know, I know, I know. But it just got accepted somewhere, and so I was working on it, and I think got it to the point where I'm not. I may pull, I may pull the acceptance and send it somewhere else. But we'll see. Wow, that's hardcore, Harvey. Uh, you should treat yourself with some Nilla wafers. Um, uh, I should. I also have uh, chocolate covered graham crackers, so you know, I'm really blessed today. <laughs> I, I need to go over to your house. 
It's occurring to me that Nilla wafers would go really well with bourbon. I, I you just like I want need, some help. I might need, I might need to try that tomorrow. Just one healthy packet. That's all. <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> You're just going to get in the way with my packing. That's probably good. I have a system. Uh, <laughs> our next poet uh, was supposed to be Miranda Ramirez, but uh, I don't see her tonight, uh, which is unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if Miranda is somehow listening and I don't I just join the call just in a second, uh, feel free to, to say something in the chat. But we're going to move on to Frank Rubino. So uh, I am going to share my screen again so you can see Frank's poem. Just give me one second. There you go. How are you, Frank? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. I've been enjoying watching your, your reactions to people's poems. Uh, you just happen to be one of the, the images on my uh, screen. So, oh, really? Uh, I wonder unbeknownst to you, I've been watching your face. <laughs> okay. Yeah, exactly. Sounds totally creepy. <laughs> I'll make sure that I... Uh, <laughs> I can't see my eyebrow. All right, go for it. All right. Um, I made a few changes, but I, I think that it's close enough. Um, Nutley, I was the youngest, addressing an easel in the private atelier run by one V.N. Ficus, where I made my first drawing with red chalk from a new model. The Nutley Art Center, across the street from where my grandfather played Santa in the Knights of Columbus Hall and gave stockings to us children, overlooks the decapitated Christopher Columbus bust mounted on a pedestal today behind protester barricades. A local man I went to high school with, an Italian-American guy like me, was caught on video cursing Columbus demonstrators as lazy shitbirds and exhorting them to go back home. B.N. Ficus has died. In her studio, I had ever in mind those nudes the masters painted, like naked Maha. By the time I took my lesson, I had drawn 5,000 pictures with great zeal, propelled by my own ability to bring objects and people to life. I lived in my sketchbooks, avoiding the social and familial obligations enforced by my parents who perhaps unwittingly laid the foundations for their sons theorizing on the mutual antagonism between art and audience. Greatness in art tells a story that imprints itself when and while it counts on the eyes and brains of one's contemporaries. Her body, which I desired, was revealed to me but not given. Instead, she was an object of virginal work with elastic and confounding aspects impossible to draw, as warm and real as that incompetent bust, like a lump of concrete bread dough, was false, ugly, and dead. Okay, thank you, Frank. Oh, you made a lot of changes. <laughs> Were you working on this today? Yeah, a little bit, sorry. 
Uh, all you poets being poets, this is hilarious. Making changes, you submit the poem for the open mic. You're like, you know what? This poem, I don't like the first. Anymore. Yeah. Change it. Yeah, yeah, change it. I, like, I'm really shocked that I, the version I sent you actually had a stanza break at the end. But anyway, <laughs> you're shocked. I love that you say you're shocked. <laughs> uh, I love the OCDness of poets. I mean, and don't get me wrong, I am exactly the same way. <laughs> shocked by a stanza break. What is the stanza break doing there? <laughs> it's completely different. Yeah, <laughs> stanza break in there. Uh, so you live in Nutley too? No, I grew up there though. Oh, did you know Arthur Russell growing up? No, I did not. I don't. I believe Arthur. Oh, I know Arthur didn't grow Arthur's up. Arthur's a bit of a Johnny Come Lately to the, Nutley, true. Yeah. to the Nutley scene. He just lives there now. Yeah, is does. that right, Arthur? You live in Nutley now, right, Arthur? I don't know, he's Probably. Now. <laughs> Arthur grew up in Brooklyn, which we all know from this. But there really is this decapitated Christopher Columbus bust behind Barracks. <laughs> the was. incompetent bust. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great phrase. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it should be decapitated. <laughs> yeah. There was a protest and everything. Yeah. Nice. I love it. All right. Thank you, Frank. Thanks a lot. Thank you, everyone. Uh, our next poet, Susan Kaplan. I love the, the note in your, your bio, Susan. How are you? I'm okay. I'm All okay. Right. Yeah, I don't see bios like this often at the op, but I love it. I love this emerged once <laughs> before as a poet in the 90s. I love it. That's when I was in college. That's yeah. right. And uh, doing the good work as a civil rights attorney, now back, hoping to reemerge as a poet. It's it's really fantastic bio. <laughs> also, I also note I, I'm uh, I'm, I'm uh, in the shit shitbird corner of the of the poetry corner here. There's going to be right. the shitbird corner. There's no better corner to be in. It's no better corner to be in. Honored, honored to be part of the shitbirds. I never. All right. Okay. Yeah, go for it. I never think of perspective. I never think of swimmers posed to dive in spandex with breast implants, which weren't even invented until World War II torpedoes slipped into water-swelled cushions, lifting my ankles, the blue mottled veins unsore on the ottoman, a, foot a footrest named after a hat that came out of the floor. I never wait for the swimmer's arm farthest away to tip over. Or there's a bird walking on the sidewalk, other birds hop nearby, then drift to trees the drowned bird can't get to and wonder, is that shit bird part of a bird scam? I see like kazoo sound. The visuals I get are streetlights with negative 7.0 diopters or more. That red, that bright. If not state patrol, then paramedic surprise. I hear an alarm involving bird chirps repeatedly around with a glass of milk suction packed to my face. My arms open wide because I don't need a safety net. Listen to your body say I can do this all day. On dimmer switch, usher lights showcase your shoes. I can and cannot smell suds when pants compress against the washer's glass door like an octopus left his suit behind. All the zippers are down. Wow, that was great. <laughs> Out of the shippered corner. Is that shippered part of a bird scam? <laughs> Usually uh, it. The answer yeah. is most of the time. 
So I'm so curious about this form. That's just such an interesting form. You got these lines and then you got the second line with just one word. Is that something you've been doing a lot lately or is it just yeah. like in this one poem? That's uh, something you've been doing? This is the uh, obsessive nightmare of my, uh, the parameters in which I live. Yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of, it just falls that way. You know, I mean, I could, I could break it down. I, you know, there, there is heavy haiku influence in, in, in maybe not in these lines necessarily, but you know, that's sort of the, the underlying drive. It's a line by line thing. The fact that there's any cohesiveness between one line and the next is a lot of effort on my part. Uh, nice. I was doing just line, 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 line. So that's that. So that is a, a tribute to that inclination, I think. Is, All right. Well, I love that. I mean, I love. I mean, I love. I love seeing these. I, the one nice thing about these virtual yops is we get to see the forms of the poems on the page. So we wouldn't have known this if you just read it out loud in person. But uh, it's it's cool to see these kinds of bold forms. Uh, I gotta say, I love uh, the blue mottled veins unsore on the ottoman. <laughs> That is just, where did that fucking line come from? Unsore on the Ottoman. Um, what is it? <laughs> I'm wondering right now if my, if my, uh, if my uh, veins are unsore themselves. <laughs> I don't know. I guess they are. <laughs> but maybe not. <laughs> uh, I'm clearly amusing myself too much. Uh, thank you, Susan. Thank you. Our next poet, I believe, is a Yop debuter, uh, Elijah B. Pringle. Is it is it uh, Elijah B. Pringle the third? Is that correct? Uh, actually, it is, and the B actually stands for nothing. <laughs> All right. Well, I figured that if Harry S. Truman can do it, why can't I? Exactly. Why the fuck not? <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> Greetings right. from Philadelphia. I did change the uh, title. I gave. I give really horrible titles when I don't know what the title should be, and it forced me to go back and say, oh, that's ugly. So here we go. It's now um, entitled A Directionless Map. I ran out of ink and realized that hemoglobin turns rusted when it sets permanently. So my accuracy is not in black and white, but in sacrificing brown on scrolls upon scrolls. I pray my heart beats long enough. Blood flows long enough. I poet long enough. I need to live long enough to tell people hemorrhaging on paper is a healing for me. First to stain the paper, I'm a black boy born in Philadelphia to married parents. Next, unbeknownst to me, I am a gay black boy born in Philly by girls. Lastly, I'm an intelligent gay black boy who is not adorned with traditional beauty. So I am, I am the one who must scribe to the world that I live in black skin that will not bleach. I am the son who will engrave into everyone that I am a man, no matter what you hope. I am that I am, and I think, and I poet, and I read the Bible in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek, and nowhere do I find your principle of hate the sin, not the sinner. We're all sinners. So reserve your tolerance. I do not seek your acceptance. I find it hard to take me because I write. I draw diagrams for others to find their buried treasure chest. Stenographer to my life of lonely, of discovery. Me as cartographer for map readers who should not journey naked, 
but fully armored against a world that sells self-hate. And should you dare to travel barefooted, do not remove the broken glass. Let the shards stop the flow. In fact, push it in till it severs the nerves, cuts the tendons, then learn to walk in spite of it. Please read into the lines, make my poems longitude and latitude. I want you to understand things go south, but all directions are up. It depends only on the angle. My seafaring charts a bloody parchment. Perhaps if I sketch perfectly, continents may bear my name. All right, thank you so much, Elijah. That was great. I feel like I need to come up with a word for the B in your, <laughs> in your name. Uh, so what did you retitle that to again? Um, a directionless map. I like that change. We're, gonna, we're workshopping your poem. <laughs> I like your original title, but I think that I like that title better. Uh, that was great. I love this. Uh, can I just highlight this line? Make my poems longitude and latitude. Uh, a great line. First of all, I love the words longitude and latitude. Uh, so it's just great that you use those words. Because, <laughs> like, you never use those words, like, in regular conversations. It's kind of like the word usurper or uh, ochre. Uh, now someone tonight should write a poem with the words longitude, latitude, ochre, and usurper. <laughs> that should be your assignment. You should do that, Elijah. But, uh, I'll try. Line. Yeah. Thank you. That's a I great appreciate line. it. Make my poems longitude and latitude. Uh, all right. Great ending, too. Our next reader, Mike Frescentes, another great bio, an unemployed poet from Brooklyn, running a great reading series. How are you, Mike? Jason, I'm doing great. I did spill uh, like an entire glass of wine on my laptop tonight, so we'll see if it lasts through the reading. Holy shit, I'm glad it's still working. <laughs> yeah, for now. You've christened the laptop. <laughs> You've prepped it for the open mic. It is a new one, so that's perfect. <laughs> All right, go for it. Okay, uh, so this is a poem on the shore of Canada in the late Devonian. It's about the Tiktaalik, which is an extinct, it's like the first fish to like crawl out of water, uh, which is Helpful context. Does the air taste different today? Or is it that we can taste the air at all? Every day we stray further from God's darkness, from the roiling black we come from, that sea of blood. Our eyes aren't used to this light, our bodies to this heaviness. Every day we learn new ways to use ourselves, ways that bend to breaking, ways we weren't shaped for if we were shaped at all. Every day we hold our breath a little longer until we don't have to, until this nature is second nature. Thank oxygen, the trees learning to breathe out as we learn to breathe in. We're not trees yet, exactly. We won't call them trees when we decide what to call the things that happen to us, aside from just the things that happen to us. But they have leaves the same way we have lungs and legs, almost. Where we're going, we won't need gills. Where we're going, we weren't meant to be. If our ancestors are looking up at us, they're turning in their graves or in the depths that bones float down to. Our children, if we have children, will last longer on the land. Our children's children, if, etc., won't remember the darkness or the roiling. We'll perhaps have problems of their own, but we can't help that. All we can do is haul ourselves up on the shore every day is find a nice spot to die in the beginnings of shade, 
to fertilize what children's children might be trees that our children's children might climb. Thank you. <laughs> Those last two lines just had me cracking up. What a great, what a great last two lines. <laughs> to fertilize what children's children might be trees that our children's children might climb. Uh, I feel like Wall Stevens would appreciate those lines. Uh, so I I gotta ask: Is this? Uh, let's see here. Where is it? Um, gotta find it. Is this is this a Back to the Future illusion? It absolutely one hundred percent is. Yes. <laughs> uh, so now I extra appreciate what we're doing. We won't need gills. Uh, this this poem this poem is a feast. I also have to say I love the word roiling. That's another great. So we have the word roiling, longitude, latitude, ochre, and uh, what was the other word? What was the first word? Oh, uh, usurper. usurper. Yes. Yeah. So uh, everyone's challenge for the next yop is to write a poem to <laughs> using all, is that five words? Six words. And uh, I will send you a tote bag myself. Uh, amazing poem, Mike. Uh, how's it going? How's your laptop doing? Going great. It's doing okay. Uh, you know, thriving. Yeah, your stash is looking great. Oh, if thank I, you. If I can say that. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Uh, our next poet of the evening, Arthur Russell. He's got a great bio. I feel like this bio is a story you should share. Do you want you Do you want to just read this bio first, Arthur? Seems, seems like you had something to say about your your daughter on this road trip. Are you there, Arthur? Are you muted? Where's Arthur? <laughs> Did we lose you? What happened to you? You're there, I see your face. Yes, you, it took me a long time. I was looking at Mike's picture and then I was all the way at the other end of the pictures. So uh, your daughter's on a road trip to Denver with five yeah. of her friends, that sounds that sounds anxiety. Five friends, all of whom got tested before they left, and they did a lot of camping out, so they weren't around other people. And what do you think? Of, what do you think of her boyfriend? Do you approve? I love her boyfriend. Oh, that's good. Yeah, he's a great guy. His name's Aiden. All right. So I'm going to read a poem. The, the only thing you need to know about this poem is in the title. The the word saluji is the uh, sheep's head bay term that we used for the game of keep away. I don't know why people call it keep away, but saluji was our term for it. And this is called the hat in a game of saluji. What does the poem want? The poem wants to be loved. The poem wants to be remembered. It wants to be made to say itself. It wants to be the baguette in your bicycle basket. It wants what the poet was afraid to want, to be a cat toy a can of paint in a new apartment, the hat in a game of saluji. It wants to be grandpa in the nursing home watching TV all day, astonished to see the children piling through the common room door or the piling at the end of the dock, splashed by a passing boat's wake, a place to see the world. The gum's shoe, the shoe's gum, the bubble in the pizza cheese, the tin man's oil can. It wants to be the view out the heart's back window, the heart's back door. It wants to take a seat on the dried warped step of the heart's back deck. The poem wants children of its own, aunties to chide it, uncles with a fridge of bud in the garage. The poem 
wants to be a fruit-stained colored vomit stain on the white line between two parking spaces outside a nightclub that makes a boy on a bicycle the next morning laugh to think of the stupidity of grown-ups and want some for himself. You say the poem is just an avatar for the poet and this joke is getting old, but I say not so fast, Jablonski. The poem wants to be pressure-treated lumber the stuff they build decks from, the stuff that goes gray, splits, and throws up the nails that held it in place, refusing at the end to stay put. Now I love the wooden fire escapes I saw in Chicago, a city with alleys, balconies, and stairs built into the backs of small brick buildings for the way they zig and zag to the ground. Clotheslines too, the way they reach out into the world with their clothes, like words that are offered and then taken back. Pants? No pants. The poem wants to be a birthday party noisemaker that unfurls with the poet's breath and rolls back up to rest, to be taken up by whales as whale song, evolving whale to whale from ocean to ocean. The poem wants to hear Bandito Brosnahan sing a song he wrote while waiting in the womb to be born, with the sense of longing as cold as supper in prison. The poem wants its readers to be haunted like a magazine on the toilet tank in a cabin its uncle built from logs harvested off the land. The poem wants something from the poet it can almost never have. It's not like the poet wants to get laid so the poem wants to get laid. Remember falling down the stairs at Robin Flam's house at Leslie Gollin's 13th birthday party? To be out in the middle of the sea is to tell yourself the truth that loving the place you were born is a neurological condition in which the homeland beckons to the traveler who wants nothing but the next wave and the next, even if it throws their wooden hull on a rocky shore. The poem wants to be a gang of a hundred men chopping down a California redwood in 1890 by hand with axes. And on the third day, the tree, this magnificent shaft, fell, and the men watched it fall. Men, driven by stronger men, driven by greed. So the poem drives the poet. Goddamn Arthur Russell. I feel like you can see by the movement of all the people's heads and <laughs> your scene screen how good that was. Oh my God, there were so many good moments in this poem. Uh, <laughs> like I have to scroll back to the beginning. So first of all, it wants to be the baguette in your bicycle basket. <laughs> that could have almost been the whole poem right there. Um, not so fast, Jablonski. Where the fuck did that come from? <laughs> it's the punchline of a bad old joke, but <laughs> one that I often think about. Well, you were an old poet, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm going to say that to myself when I'm when I'm like trying to do something I shouldn't be doing. Not so fast, Jablonski. Uh, pants, no pants. <laughs> uh, and so Robin Flam and Leslie Gullen. What is it with like people's names that we knew when we were young? I feel like like all of us have these people in our lives where like their names are themselves poems, like Robin yeah. Flam and Leslie Gullen. <laughs> I wish I had been at that 13th birthday party. 
It was great. It was June the 6th, 1969. <laughs> I remember the date. Did you, play, did you play Spin the Bottle by any chance? Yes, we also played it. Seven. <laughs> With that Leslie Gall and in the closet. Yeah. Okay, I feel like that's another. Have you written that poem too? No, I'm ashamed. All right, so that's your assignment for after tonight. You got to write that poem now. I think I wrote it as a song when I was 18. <laughs> um, okay, thank you for that. I feel like I'm, I'm crying now. So, uh, God, these poems tonight have really filled me with joy. I feel like last month's yawp was, was really sad, maybe necessarily so. Uh, I was like almost, I was so depressed <laughs> at the end of it. Anyway, uh, just before I, you go on, I, can I, uh, Emily, yeah. I just wanted to thank Emily for a great workshop. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Russell. That was so amazing. <laughs> it's so good to see you. Arthur, sorry. You it's okay, Emily. It's really just a pleasure. And I love that poem you read, too. Thank you. The last stanza of your poem reminded me of that Merwin poem, The Last One, about chopping down the trees. Do you know that poem? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Did you link to that poem, or didn't you link to the paradoxes and oxymoron? Yeah, well, it also reminded me of paradoxes. <laughs> Ashbury Merlin. Yeah, lots of synapses firing. Thanks, Arthur. Okay, our next poet is Preeti Shah, reigning yacht poem of the month winner. How are you, Preeti? Hi, Jason. Doing good. How's everything? I'm doing well. How are you? I just I, I feel like I just asked you that, but uh, I'll ask you that again. <laughs> good. Okay. All so, right, go for it. Um, a flower blossoms in my pocket. A flower blossoms in a flower blossoms in my pocket, spreading its petals as tiered feathered wings, softly undoing the hems to uncover burrs of cloth. Its nakedness is a virtue, like freedom when it stands naked, becoming field and sky, inherent in its love. My flower is forthright in its yellowness, lemon beyond perception, an infinite wavelength of bursting mustard seeds. It roots as it unroots, digging its heels into the hard earth of oppressors, kicking dust up with such might to awaken a generation. Amen. Love the ending of that poem. Awaken a generation. Uh, so I just feel like I have to comment on your headboard. Is that a headboard? <laughs> <laughs> your yeah. headboard seems very strong <laughs> i feel like it's been the same headboard all these last few months but i just noticed it is that is that yeah. is that true is it the same yeah headboard? i'm just i'm staying at my mom's place so here is just like the guest room or whatever oh so it's a different headboard no it's, it's the same, oh, it's the same one, one. It's the same one. <laughs> uh i feel like a headboard is very important to one's life would you agree That's a totally weird question, but uh, I think it's an, uh, it's an important thing because like, especially if you're a poet, you're probably a reader, right? So you need a good headboard to do reading in bed because I remember times in my life when I didn't have a headboard and it was quite sad. You know, I tried to read in bed and I would like, rest my back against the, the bare wall. Yeah, I'm trying not to slouch here as much as possible. <laughs> you don't look like you're slouching at all. Okay, perfect. Yeah. It's doing this its work. Like, yeah, those are the illusions of Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, thank you, Preeti. Our next poet has got a great orange background, Robin Romeo. How are you doing, Robin? 
Okay. Pechicor. Asked to name it, I would go with Stay With Me. A gift of moistened woody detritus, rock suddenly wet and cool, and bacteria. Its bouquet approaching agar and sandalwood, a dryness to it. The briefer the shower, the thicker the aroma that blends with simple silences that follow. Before long, you notice the impact of a drop grown too large at the leaf's tip. The cricket's chirp that intones a question to which no answer exists. All right, beautiful. So I have to say, you're not the first poet I know that's written a poem entitled Petrichor. <laughs> Do you want to explain to the masses what pe Petrichor means? It's the fragrance that sort of gets created or lingered after rain. Yeah. And it's caused by what I described in the first stanza. Yeah, Mostly it's really most... one of the... Oh, go ahead, sorry. No, so go ahead. I was going to say it's one of the most... It's one of the beautiful words we have. Or yes. just like beautiful concept, really. I feel like we all know that, that smell. Yeah. Should we add that to our list of words? <laughs> <laughs> Petricor, ochre, it'd be great if you could use those in the same line. Usurper, longitude, latitude. Agar. What's the other words? Agar, agar, agar. Agar? Is that, what that how you say that? Agar and sandalwood? Yeah, that's one. Oh, agar, agar. yeah. Agar? That's another great word. <laughs> is that how you say it, agar? Yeah, that's how I say it. Okay. But, but what, is, what is agar, Some say agar I actually but. don't know that word. Is that like a, is that a scent? Ramen? It's mostly used uh, to make incense. Very beautiful um, fragrance actually, yeah. Nice. Wow. And also it's, it's also used as a thickening agent in some instances. A thickening agent. <laughs> uh, it's just, sorry, I'm laughing. It's just a funny thing to, to say about something. <laughs> <laughs> it can be used as a thickening agent. <laughs> um, okay. I love the word sandalwood, too. Uh, it's, it's a really great word. Um, well, I can't wait to hear the poems that you're all going to read next month when you use all these incredible words. Uh, okay. Thank you, Robin. Our next poet, Bandito Brosnahan. You've, you've heard of him tonight in Arthur Russell's poem. How are you, Bandito? I'm doing well. Is that an American flag in your background? <laughs> yeah, with a golden hand on it that I painted <laughs> I in 2016. I love it. Do you hey, have a new, did you just get a haircut? I got a haircut uh, like, uh, like six weeks ago or so. So I had a oh, haircut last, last the op as huh. well. It seems shorter. Maybe I'm just noticing now because I'm an asshole and I didn't notice before. But uh, you're going to read from your ongoing long poem tonight, yes? I am, yeah. Now it has but, a title, The Red Door. Is that the new title? Yeah, I thought uh, I want to call it a long ass poem anymore. I'll call it its name. Okay, go for it. <clears throat> oh yeah, there's typos in the thing I sent you, so just ignore the typos. And the version I have doesn't have typos. <laughs> the first time I heard Shakespeare was from the mouth of a priest. To be or not to be, he asked the room of seven-year-olds. That is the question whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer under the dogmas and repression of the Catholic Church or to flee into the barren plains of meaninglessness. I remember being jealous of the saints, for surely they were in heaven. 
If only I were so lucky to be seven years old and be brutally tortured or crucified or burned alive for my sincere, unwavering belief in the Lord, my God, who will reward me with everlasting life in heaven. I laid in bed and prayed to be murdered, to be like that girl at Columbine, Casey Bernal, who said yes, whose mother wrote a book called She Said Yes, The Unlikely Martyrdom of Casey Bernal, a postmodern saint, a late capitalism's Joan of Arc, victim to Eric Harris and Dylan Claybold, the enfant Terry harbingers of the millennium. I was seven and weeping and wishing I could have been at Columbine too. Oh, to look evil and white male rage and nihilism incarnate right in their red eyes and not to waver. To be bold, to be miraculous, adamantly devout and devoutly adamant. To be brave and lion-hearted, for the Lord is with thee. To remain true to your heart, because that is all that matters. To be unafraid of the gun. Oh, it is nothing to die, for what dreams may come. I could not imagine a nobler death. Even at seven, I knew if you're not dying for God, you're just dying. <laughs> I, sort of, I sort of miss how I used to believe all that. But the truth is, they would have shot her no matter what she said. And also, it might not have even been Casey Bernal who was shot for her faith. The witness, Craig Scott, a student who was hiding in the library, claimed he had heard the voice and thus the martyrdom of Casey Bernal. There was actually another student, Aileen Schnur, whose body was found in the library, which means that Casey's mom, Misty Bernal, whose book is still in print, has been profiting off the noble death of someone else's daughter for over 20 years. And also to be or not to be is a trick question. It's always both. And also, the priest who quoted Shakespeare probably molested children or his friends with the priest who did because the Catholic Church, the oldest institution in the world, has perfected the secret art of pederasty over the last 2,000 years. And also, Christianity has been and still is used to justify slavery, empire, white supremacy, capitalism, and misogyny for centuries, and also homophobia, and also transphobia. And also, we all know heaven's a children's story, right? And also, if God really does exist, then his name is Columbine, and also COVID. Wow, man. This, <laughs> this long-ass poem is really turning into something. So how long is the poem now? It's 75 pages. I went back to work, and I haven't been able to have as much writing time lately. <laughs> You're making us all feel bad. I went back to work. Uh, I haven't been able to do much lately. My new poem is 75 pages long. <laughs> and uh, uh, up, there's like a chunk that uh, is like really tied to, uh, it's like a sequel to this chunk, and they, they should be read together, but the, the two chunks would be too long back to back. So I'll read yeah. another chunk that comes right after this one next month, next probably. Month. Right. <laughs> well, it's been great to hear this unfold over the months. So, yeah, keep them coming. Yeah. Um, okay. We've got one poet left. I don't know if you can hear the sounds in the background, but uh, my wife, Anna Maria, is cooking up a delicious dinner, which I'm very excited to eat after the uh, mouth-watering uh, workshop prompt and poems I've heard tonight. Uh, Josephine Blair, uh, many of you know as our events manager. She is going to read uh, a poem tonight. How are you, Joe? Uh, I was muted. Sorry. I'm good. 
I'm good. I haven't read you guys um, at all this year. I think. Yeah, it's been a minute. How's your new apartment? Multiple minutes. Uh, it's good. Yeah? Do you still have a leak? Um, someone uh, came to fix it today, but I guess we only will know um, the next time it rains. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yes. I, I'm I hoping for the best. Brooklyn to Harlem, and it's, you know, so far so good and also pretty wet. When it <laughs> okay, go for it. Okay, I'm going to read a poem. I've been really depressed and haven't been writing and or reading and thought I wasn't going to write anything anymore. And then Jason asked me to read, and so I said yes, and here we go. Um, okay, <laughs> this poem uh, starts off pretty aggressive. It's called, I Comfort Men After I Tell Them I Was Raped. Oh God, this is so impossible for you. I know, honey, I wish you had been there too. The only thing I can think of that could have saved me that night is another man. Oh, how things might have been so beautiful had you been the one to muscle your dick inside me first. Oh, how justice might have been served. You know, on the street sometimes, I pass women whose babies are still alive, and I will their husbands to imagine me naked. Will them to send my ribcage flying into a dresser, pull my hair until the inside of my throat spits all their names into the blue flesh above us. Maybe you and I start small. Maybe you let me hold you, whisper welcome home while I watch myself disappear, the whole city my witness. Let me use my own blood as a salve. Oh honey, it's all right, don't cry. There is nothing you could do that would be worse than what's already been done. All right, thank you. Thank you. Amen. That's a great way to end. <laughs> Is it too aggressive? For fuck's sake, yes. <laughs> when you were texting me today, I should have said, of course it's too aggressive, and it fucking needs to be. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, yes, well, uh, and hopefully your ceiling doesn't leak anymore, because uh, that sucks. We'll see. I'll let you know next time. <laughs> um... Thank you, Josephine Blair. Uh, let's go back over the open mic lineup for tonight. Uh, it's been, it's been a great, this, if this is, this is technically my last Yop open mic in, in Brooklyn, at least for a while. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe someday, someday in the, in the, the long, long, uh, long away future, I, I might move back to Brooklyn, but I don't foresee it. Um, so, uh, obviously Brooklyn Poets going to keep, some people, some people are like texting me or emailing me like, what's going to happen to Brooklyn Poets? I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, actually nothing's going to happen. It's just it's going to keep on running just like, like it's always been. But, uh. Next uh, September, uh, for our YAP, I will be in Beacon, New York, upstate. But uh, to review the last open mic that I am presiding over in Brooklyn, at least for the foreseeable future, that was Josephine Blair, you just heard from. Before that, Kyle Bandito, Brosnahan, Robin Romeo, Preeti Shah, Arthur Russell, Mike Fresentes, Elijah Pringle, Susan Kaplan, Frank Rubino, Harvey Sauce, Shanice Hughes-Greenberg, Stella Lee, Todd Friedman, Rita A. Simmons, Suzanne S. Austin-Hill, Lupita I. Tucker, Kim Brandon, Joanne Mazuela, and Julia Knobloch. So again, the number to vote for Poem of the Month for August is 718, I'm going to put this in the chat as I talk, 374 
Our next YOP to make an announcement before we go is the second Monday of September, September 14th. Daryl Alejandro Holmes will be teaching that YOP. Daryl is teaching a workshop for the first time for Broken Poets this fall on uh, the relationship between R&B and poetry, the all-important relationship between R&B and poetry. I think the workshop is called R&B Poetry and Me. And uh, if you haven't met Daryl and you haven't heard Daryl sing, uh, that will be one reason to sign up for the workshop because Daryl is an amazing singer. Uh, I've, I've driven Daryl to an event before and had him in the backseat of my car and he just like was singing in the backseat of my car. Uh, I was saying backstreet of my car, backseat of my car <laughs> to uh, various tunes and uh, it was quite an experience. So uh, definitely check out that workshop September 14th or sign up for the, the workshop at brokenpoets.org. Uh, next month, we are donating funds to Impact Lebanon, a nonprofit uh, organizing a fundraiser right now. In fact, they've already uh, raised a lot of funds to help the people of Lebanon. Obviously, our hearts go out to them uh, after the explosion on August 4th, the day after my birthday. It was a horrific event, and uh, hopefully all of you can join us again for that and raise some funds to help the people in uh, Beirut specifically. Uh, one more uh, reminder that next Monday, we are going to be back on Zoom for our summer workshop showcase, Feeling Emily Skillings. <laughs> Did I just say feeling? <laughs> Featuring Emily Skillings. I don't know what's getting into my mind. There's too much ochre in my mind, too much longitude and latitude. Uh, thanks again to Emily Skillings. Uh, are you still with us, Emily? I don't, I don't even know who's on our Zoom call yes, anymore. Yes, I'm still here. All oh, right. Thank you all so much. That was Your amazing. background has changed again. Yes, I'm upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for leading an amazing workshop. I learned a lot, lot tonight, especially about the textures around me, including this bubble wrap. Uh, bubble wrap oh, is a really interesting one. texture. Um, but Emily will be back next Monday, August 17th, to introduce uh, her students from Pros. Poem. I think you're introducing Jay Eason, who is Jay on this Eason. tonight. Uh, Jay Eason will be reading uh, their poems next Monday. Uh, that is free. Again, uh, look for our newsletter tomorrow. Uh, register on Zoom and you can join us for that. Uh, remember, the fellowship application deadline is Sunday, August 16th. That is uh, six days away. Uh, so definitely apply for that if you'd like to take a workshop uh, for free this fall we are offering uh, up to 16 full fellowships that is a lot of fellowships so uh, get that fellowship and even if you don't want a full fellowship you could get partial funding through uh, a finalist discount or semi-finalist discount okay again the number to vote one more time for poem of the month 718-374-1953 thanks to all of you for joining us uh stay with us <laughs> Who knows when we're going to be able to meet again in person for events, but uh, we appreciate you continuing to join us on Zoom for these virtual yops. Uh, they definitely keep me going, and I know that they keep uh, a lot of you going who are joining us every month uh, for these open mics. Um, this was a particularly fun one. Not that they're not all fun, but this one definitely brought a lot of smiles to my face, and that is not something I take for granted ever, especially these days. Uh, thank you again, Emily. Thanks to all of you. Thanks to my staff. And uh, we will see you in September.
Thanks, Jason. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you, guys. Bye, everyone. Oh, cute. Oh, my God. Wow. Nice. Oh, I'm unmuted. Okay. <laughs>